G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au It was a pledge in his church, and it was something he did every year. And he knew that his employees knew that he didn't have a lot of money left, but here he is pledging an amount of money for missions through his church. But he said God made it very clear to him he needed to do it. And the next day, his company was offered a contract to help build what is known today as the Hoover Dam. Welcome to Real Faith. Conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, recently on the program, we spoke with George from Jindavik, who's a very successful businessman, first as an earth mover and farmer and then as an award-winning cheesemaker. In that interview, he mentioned that his role model was the legendary businessman R.G. Letourneau. Now, a little background for you. R.G. Letourneau was a Christian inventor, businessman, and an entrepreneur. A sixth-grade dropout, Robert Gilmore, or R.G. Letourneau, went on to become the leading earth-moving machinery manufacturer of his day with plants on four continents, more than 300 patents to his name, and major contributions to road construction and heavy equipment that forever changed the world. Most importantly, his contribution to the advancement of the gospel ranks him among the greatest of Christian businessmen of all time. He was famous for living on 10% of his income and giving 90% to the spread of the gospel. He became known as God's businessman. Now, after I heard about R.G. Letourneau, it occurred to me that my wife and I had a friend that we met at Rio Grande Bible Institute in Texas, and she had the surname Letourneau. And we wondered, could it be that there was a connection with the legendary R.G. Letourneau? Well, to make a long story short, yes, she says that she's married to the great-grandson of R.G. Letourneau, and she introduced us to R.G.'s grandson, Mark Letourneau, who joins me on the phone right now from Branson, Missouri. Mark Letourneau, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you with us. And do you remember meeting your grandfather? What are your earliest memories of him? Oh, goodness, I'm kind of grew up around him in many ways, uh, although we were a couple of hundred miles apart. I grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi. My dad managed one of my grandfather's plants, Mm -hmm. but he was constantly in and out as he traveled back and forth, checking on all the different facilities. And um, so for me, uh, he was just grandpa. He passed away in 1969, and I was about 12 years old then. So... I just remember having fun with him, playing with him, being around him. Whenever he was down at the plant, he'd be on a scooter, and uh, three-wheel scooter, and going around. And we always loved being able to ride with him. And it was always just fun being around him. But uh, as I grew up, uh, got into high school, and I started reading the books that had been written about him and hearing some more of the stories, um, I did struggle a little bit with my memories of him because I thought I had to fill his shoes. Oh, is that right? Um, he was quite a guy, but uh, I eventually figured out God 
got a hold of me and, and showed me that, that I don't have to fill his shoes. Mm-hmm. I just have to follow his footsteps. Amen. And uh, so he sent me down my own path. But uh, he was uh, he was quite a guy. Yeah, well, as we heard in the introduction, a sixth grade dropout. So this is even more remarkable. His legacy didn't even finish school. Well, that's true. Um, although he finished with four honorary doctorates. Oh, yeah. And never yeah. went back to school. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, there's a chapter in the book, uh, Mover of Men and Mountains, called The Bumblebee Can't Fly. And the idea being that in physics, uh, aerodynamics, Bumblebee has too much mass, not enough wingspan, not the right aerodynamic shape, so it shouldn't be able to fly. But the Bumblebee never studied any of those things, so it goes ahead and does it. Anyway. <laughs> um, my grandfather didn't learn engineering and mechanics. Uh, from school, he learned it hands-on, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore he never learned what he shouldn't be able to do, so he went ahead and did it anyway and found a way to make it work. Um, he believed in hard work. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, when he was married, uh, they had little or nothing. He had gone off to serve in World War One, and when he came back, he found that it, his business partner had left with all of the assets of the business. Oh, wow. And so they were pretty poor people. In fact, my grandmother relates that back then, a tractor pulled a plow, and this is in the early 1900s, and Mm -hmm. another man had to steer the plow in to to do large tracts of land. He always thought they should be able to do it with one person and uh, control the equipment from something else. So she said she'd come home at days, and uh, the only way to put metal together in those days was using um, a torch. Mm-hmm. Um, a settling torch, and they, uh, she'd come in and find that her brass curtain rods uh, had been taken and the curtains were laying there <laughs> uh, because he'd run out of materials to weld with. Oh, uh, wow. so you just so use what you have. He'd be creating a new tractor, and somebody would purchase it, and he'd take the money from that to build the next thing. And, oh, wow. Uh, now, was he raised a Christian, or how did he become a Christian? He was saved in, I believe... Um, a uh, evangelistic meeting and uh, had given him his life to the Lord and uh, there had been several, I guess, somewhat miraculous occurrences in his life in his early years that that convinced him that God was indeed watching over him and had a purpose for his life. Mm -hmm. So pretty early on, he he was fully committed to God and... uh, didn't know which way he was going in his life, but knew that God had something for him. And so, uh, as he used to say, at the beginning of, I think, every speech I ever heard him say as he traveled all over the world, I'm just a mechanic saved by the grace of God. Hmm. That's all I am. <laughs> yeah, so a very humble man as well. He, he was. I uh, never thought too much of himself, uh, but he... <laughs> He never stopped. Um, I know he would He would come to be at work Monday through Friday, sometimes at different plants, but come Friday evening, uh, he would board, uh, had a, a converted B-series bomber from, uh, from the war that he would uh, board, and he could be in Longview, Texas. If he was at home, he would be that evening, in Atlanta, Georgia, then he would be somewhere in Illinois, then he'd be in California the next day. 
Um, he might even go down to South America and speak at Monday morning, bright and early. He walked back into the office. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was say, a man that was driven to share, but at the same time was always working on the next problem, solving it. Mm. it. It was always on his mind. Uh, they say in the bomber he would uh, wedge himself into the tail, and you can just imagine uh, the old-style airplanes, how winds played havoc with them in the skies. And he would be wedged in there with a notepad and a pencil working out some problem. Oh, wow. And uh, nothing bothered him. <laughs> wow. So now, what was the purpose of all that traveling? Most of that was just to speak. He was invited to speak in many different churches uh, and mission organizations around the world. At one point in his life, he became, uh, in fact, the uh, president of the Christian Businessmen's Committee International. Oh, wow. Uh, served in that office for a few years. So uh, he became known as God's businessman, and he spent his life that way uh, no matter what. He was always believed that God came first in his tithing, in the way that he gave money, uh, even if it meant giving and not knowing that he had enough money to pay his own employees the next day. Wow. But, uh, many stories like that that have been related to me over the years, how he, he would just kind of uh, have that quandary within himself, well, well Lord, I've got to i got to pay these people here next week. What am I going to do? And and God would say, you do what you've been doing. Uh, in one case, it was a, a pledge in a church, in his church, and it was something he did every year, and the pledge was made public. And mm. he knew that his employees knew that he didn't have a lot of money left, but here he is pledging an amount of money for missions yeah. through his church, but he said God made it very clear to him he needed to do it. And the next day, his company was offered a contract to help build what is known today as the Hoover Dam. Oh, wow. Out there uh, near Las Vegas. Oh, wow. And that catapulted him in because he created things for it. Our guest today is Mark Letourneau, the grandson of the legendary Christian businessman R.G. Letourneau, who was famously known as God's Businessman. Mark will share more of his grandfather's remarkable life, including his connection to Billy Graham. That's all coming up when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today I'm chatting with Mark Letourneau, the grandson of one of the most successful Christian businessmen of all time, R.G. Letourneau. As we've been hearing, R.G. was an inventor, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist who gave away millions of dollars to Christian ministries. Now here's more of Mark sharing his grandfather's incredible life story. 
in World War II, he served not by joining the military, but by being used by the military to create things such as uh, he had a specialized tractor that would lift train car boxes off of the train beds mm-hmm. and put them onto trucks that was operated by one operator. And they liked it so much, uh, he modified that. And when uh, planes would crash on the runway in London during the war, uh, one of his machines would trundle out and pick up the debris and clear the runway in five minutes so that the next plane could land and get out of the sky before running out of fuel. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just things like that that yeah. he did constantly. He's, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records, I think, four times for biggest, longest, largest. Uh, created a machine one time that needed a runway in down in uh, South America for a mission group so that mm-hmm. they could get supplies in and out for an indigenous uh, group that they were ministering to. And so he created a machine that would plow up road. When it met a tree, it would saw it off and pick up the trunk, tree and all, and put it into a bed in the back with articulated arms. Uh, as he passed over the stump, it would cut it off flat. And, wow. uh, you know, half a day's work, they could have a, a runway that a plane could land on. Wow. So he just seems like he was just a natural mechanical inventor over and over and over. He did many, many times. My grandmother tells a story that when he built his plant in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and I grew up in the home that they built uh, overlooking that plant when Mm -hmm. my dad was there, as I said, but uh, he said he wanted to to, uh, have a, a gathering for his 600 employees that he was hiring to go to work there so they could get to know him, he could get to know them and to bring their families, and mm-hmm. they were going to feed them. And she said, well, how are we going to do that? He said, well, you're going to make your tamale pie. <laughs> well, she said, that feeds eight or ten. <laughs> he said, not a problem. Just multiply that by 60, <laughs> and you've got enough for 600. Oh, wow. She said the uh, the butcher just about you know fell over when she told him ahead of time that she was going to need over 1,000 pounds of beef. Wow. And she said, okay, how are we going to cook it? So he took a big sheet of steel and had it bent into a big U-shape, sealed up both ends, put a lip on both sides, set up uh, stands for people to stand on either side, and they would have garden hose, and it had a, a, a spigot to drain off the fat, and everything was tossed into this one big pot, so to speak. Uh, Then a machine came by, lifted it up on a cradle, and set it down in the middle of the table so everybody could help themselves. (laughs) That's just the way he thought. It was just numbers. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he didn't take no for an answer. Or he would just find a way to make it get done. (laughs) He did. He did. But, you know, one of the big things that everybody wants to know, and you mentioned it, that here's a man who gave, who lived on the 10%. Well, the reason that that all came about was as God would bless him. And I think it started right about the Hoover Dam project. Mm-hmm. He started making more money and having more money. And he never, he never moved out of the house that he had. If they had to, they'd add a room to it for the kids and expand. But he would simply live the same lifestyle that he always had 
and he would give more money to God. Wow. And that occurred, then his business prospered. He always used to say, you shovel in, God shovels out. But remember, he's got a bigger shovel. (laughs) And uh, he lived a life of, uh, by the end, he was a very prosperous man. He had, as you say, plants in many different locations. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was in direct competition with uh, Caterpillar back at the time and Mm -hmm. was always six steps ahead because he would invent something bigger, better, newer, um, he would teach himself how it was done, then he would go into the shop and figure out how to do it. But as the business grew and became more and more popular and, and he made more money, at one point in his life, he decided, okay, this is probably as big as I'm ever going to be. And he was worth millions. And yeah. for mm-hmm. Back in those days, um, you know, 40s and 50s, uh, that was a lot of money. And oh, yeah. uh, so he had his attorney draw up a contract. Uh, My dad tells me it's something you can't do anymore, but he created a foundation. Uh, He made it so that no family member could ever spend the money in it except to give it to churches and missions around the country, around the world, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Letourneau Foundation was born with 90% of his net worth. Wow. And so when he passed away, he said, if God wants to bless my sons and daughter and give them the same kind of blessing he monetarily has given me, then, then he'll do it. But I don't have to give it to them. This is his money that he's just loaned to me for now. So wow. there was no big inheritance. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you are R.G. Letourneau's grandson. So do you have millions of dollars from the inheritance? Uh, I had a check that was set aside for me of $5,000 for when I announced that I would be married. Oh, wow. My father handed it to me when, uh, when that time came. And ultimately, I also inherited a ring that was passed down to me uh, later on in life uh, from my father. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has the, uh, the company emblem on it. It was, was made for him by the employees of one of the factories as a gift. And so uh, there are statues in two or three locations uh, around the country, uh, and he's always wearing that ring. So that that makes me a little bit proud. Oh, yeah, that's very special. And in fact, as they were also in the, I guess, the not quite later years of their lives, but at one point uh, they were flying over, Longview, Texas, and my grandmother was with him, and and they were looking down near their plant, or right, really almost next door to it, was uh, a POW hospital from World War II mm-hmm. that had been pretty much shut down. And my grandmother said, why don't we make a college out of that? And my grandfather thought it over, and before long, they purchased the property, had barracks on it, and uh, classrooms, and you know, places that they could meet. And so men that he wanted to give jobs to at the plant, uh, coming back mostly World War II vets Mm -hmm. that were not qualified to do anything, they would spend half of their day learning how to do what they were supposed to do. 
in a technical institute. They were given a place to live, and then they spent the other half of their day working in the doing what they were learning about. And so, Materno Tech became born, and uh, has progressed to Laterno College, and now is Laterno University, and still training young men and women in mechanics, aviation, nursing, several different things, but those are the, the big ones that have always been there. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, uh, it, it stands today, and he did not want the family to be tied directly to it, didn't want it to be known as a John Brown University or a Bob Jones University where you had those people, somebody always in charge. So uh, it runs on its own without family interference. Oh, okay. Now, just looking over his life, it just seems amazing that he, on one hand, was busy inventing. On the other hand, was busy running a business, being the manager. And then on the other hand, we got three hands here. (laughs) He's busy ministering to people and speaking and spreading the gospel. Very busy guy. Well, he was, but he was also... um very logically smart, uh, horse sense, hmm. common oh. sense. Yeah. He surrounded himself with people who knew how to do the things he didn't know how to do, but that he trusted. Mm-hmm. So accountants and draftsmen, designers, whatever he needed, um, he, he had those people near at hand so that he could call them at a moment's notice and ask questions and get responses and can we do this, do we have to do that? How can we make this work? And so he even had a man who was a very good friend of mine for many years uh, as an adult, whose one of his sole jobs was as kind of a secretary, but as his secretary in the outer office, uh, he took care of going through the ever-constant mail that when people found out that here was a philanthropist who Mm -hmm. liked to give money to good projects, um, his job was to go through all that mail mm-hmm. and to pick out every week the top 10 or 15 for my grandfather to peruse out of hundreds Wow! every week of worthwhile endeavors. As he said, it wouldn't do any good to send each one a dollar. Yeah. Uh, so he, he picked one out every week, and uh, there was a letter one point that this gentleman told me about that... Uh, there were three men who were out in Europe who were doing a very, very successful job of tent meeting evangelism running all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Problem was that they were running out of money and they didn't have enough money to get back home at the end of their crusade. Could Mr. Letourneau help? And for some reason, their letter touched his life and sent them the money to finish well their campaign and to return home and they returned and gave him an accounting of every penny that he had given them to use and how it was used and and how it benefited the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, To this day, the family remains very good friends with with the families of Billy Graham, George Beverly Shea, and Cliff Barrows. Oh, wow. So, and in fact, it was a big enough event that Billy put it in his book before he passed away. 
Oh, wow. There's there, there's mention of how that happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah. my grandfather became a backer for the Billy Graham Crusades and never regretted a moment of it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it's amazing how God weaves these lives into each other. And who knows, you know, if Billy Graham didn't have that support at that point, you know, what would have happened? What would have happened? Nobody mm. knows. Yeah. yeah. But God does. And yep. he had it all worked out. And I have, you know, I've heard many stories like that over the years. Uh, I went to myself uh, to a place called Tacoa Falls College that is out in northeast Georgia, and my grandfather had a plant out there and got to know a young missionary who eventually founded that college. And uh, <laughs> so when I was there, I would go, the, the girls' dorm was called Laterno Hall, hmm. and there was Laterno Drive there in the town, and uh, the airport is still there. It's Laterno Airfield. Oh, wow. In fact, uh, they have a museum out there. I was privileged to go out with a singing group that I was with here a few years ago mm -hmm. uh, to Tacoa, and uh, they invited us to sing for the town in a, in a concert series. And one of the gentlemen took us and showed us the town's museum, and half of it's dedicated to R.G. Letourneau. Wow. And what he accomplished in that town and through the uh, Tacoa Falls College. Quite a legacy. Things like that that you, you grow up with. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm going to have to uh, stop you right there because we've run out of time for this first conversation, but can we invite you to come back to share more about your grandfather and then also about your life as well? Be happy to. Our guest today has been Mark Letourneau, the grandson of one of the most successful Christian businessmen of all time, R.G. Letourneau. And if you'd like to learn more about R.G.'s story, you can read his autobiography called Mover of Men and Mountains. It's available online and at Christian bookstores, even though it was originally written over 50 years ago. Well, next time, Mark Letourneau is going to transition from telling his grandfather's story to sharing his own life journey. As Mark shared, it would have been a daunting task to try to fill his grandfather's shoes as an inventor, but as we'll hear, Mark ended up taking a completely different path. So until next time, when we'll hear Mark share his story, I'm Eric Scadabo. So long and God bless. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.